Hi, listeners of Crime Scenes and Cupcakes. Allow us to introduce ourselves. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we, we are, are True Crime b and We do a podcast every week. We release on Fridays. And every week we'll bring to you two different true crime stories. First we'll bring you a disturbing story. And then one that will hopefully uplift your spirits a little bit. We'd love to have you listen to our <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so join us every week on Friday. Find us anywhere you find your podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, I don't know anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and also you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime BNB. Did we even mention that we're mom and daughter? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you join our crime family. Bye. Bye. Crime Scene and Cupcakes is an independent podcast created in the Anchor app, funded mainly through advertising. The podcast often has coarse language and disturbing content. Please listen wisely. Hey guys, it's Marianne. Dog Mom Baker, true crime podcast maker, and it's season two, episode seven of Crime Scene and Cupcakes. Today is June 5th, the last day of Gun Violence Awareness Weekend. And with all that's been happening in the United States, hell, with all that's been happening in the world, you're probably asking, do we really need a special weekend? to bring awareness to gun violence. But we do, because it's more than letting people know gun violence happens. It's what they can do to affect a change. What they can do to prevent gun violence if they already own a gun. What communities can do so when another tragedy or if another tragedy occurs. Hospitals can already be stopped. Blood centers can already have what they need to be ready if that tragedy arises. So the National Day has grown to a weekend and was created when Hidea Pendleton, was, who was a 15-year-old student at King College Prep High School, was killed only one week after performing at events for President Barack Obama's second inauguration. President Obama had even mentioned in a State of the Union that the crime scene had only been just a mile away from his home in Chicago. So now organizations like Wear Orange and Moms on Demand band together in the name of all victims of gun violence to make a change in legislation, get donations to their local blood banks, and they wear orange, Hidea's favorite color. But it's also the color hunters wear in the woods to protect themselves and to protect others. So we're gonna have a link to these organizations and also how you can get involved. And we're going to have it on our podcast um, down in our bio. We're going to have it on our Instagram, our Facebook, and our Twitter. (music) 
We're also inviting you guys to become more than just a listener, but to also do something and become the difference in the world today because you guys are all amazing. You're taking the time out of your day to listen to someone like me. So obviously you want to do something because I prattle on about a lot of different things. So you want to make a difference. You want to make a change. You want to make the world a better place. So we're going to give you some ways to do that. So when we share these stories of these victims and these gun tragedies and school shootings, it's not to sensationalize someone else's pain. In fact, at Crime Scene and Cupcakes, we choose not to go into some of the more graphic details because that's the victim's story. If that victim is still able or their family chooses to, that's their story to tell. But sharing some of these stories might someday help someone else. It might alert someone when a person who is walking the grounds of the office or the school or another facility you're at and there just is something in your gut that doesn't seem right. Like in the story we're about to share. When you see something that doesn't feel right. There are things you should do. And there are ways to prepare yourself. And that's why we tell these stories. So the Platte Canyon High School hostage crisis is one few people know. And that's a shame because there is one incredible, amazing, I don't know how many adjectives to say about this amazing young woman. She was an absolute beacon during this crisis. And it just hurts my soul that her story is not shared more. And that is why during Gun Violence Awareness Week, I wanted to share her story. And there is an absolute incredible YouTube story that is shared with this from the law enforcement that was there that day. And I really advise you guys, and I will put a link again on our social media, and I will put a link with our podcast, and it is called Room 206. And that is the room where these events happened at Platte Canyon High School in Bailey, Colorado. And It is an absolutely incredible story of those people who were there that day and they share the story and it it talks about what this young woman did and I had just watched it again recently and it's incredible. Yeah, it chokes me up the minute I even start to talk about the video. So I really recommend listeners to go on YouTube and watch that video after listening to this podcast because it really shares in depth of what happened that day. And so the Platte Canyon High School crisis is just 
one of the few shootings that you may not have heard of. Few people have. So we want to share it with you today. In fact, one of the main reasons I want to share it with you today is it is a story of an amazing human being. It is a story of a person who did an incredible, just a hero, a true hero in this. And you don't hear about her often. You don't hear her story shared often enough. And so I want to share it with everyone today. So let's talk a little bit about Bailey, Colorado, because Platte Canyon High School is located in Bailey. So Bailey, Colorado is about 30 miles southwest of Denver. It has 8,000 residents and its biggest claim to fame is on March 18th in 2006, the Coney Island Hot Dog Stand, which is a landmark building shaped like a giant hot dog, was moved from Aspen Park to Bailey. Now, you may want to know where I got that fascinating piece of knowledge. Well, I get it where I get a lot of my really big pieces of news information. South Park. South Park has some really critical pieces of legislation and news information you people may not be aware. But those guys really keep their finger on the pulse of the world. You might want to check them out. Um, but... On a serious note, um, Bailey wasn't prepared for the events that hit them on September 27th, on September 27th, 2006. So Bailey, a quiet community, was not fully prepared for what was about to happen on September 27th, 2006. Now, Morrison had recently become homeless when his rent in Denver, Colorado had escalated. So he was pretty much living outside and just kind of hanging out around the area in Bailey, Colorado. Now, he's had some past legal offenses, marijuana and theft and things like that nothing sexual that we could find on his criminal offenses nothing really violent that we could find but as we know not everything people have been caught now there was something I found really interesting he had become alarmingly obsessed with a customer service representative at Rocky Mountain Harley Davidson and that kind of becomes interesting later but some videos had been taken from security cameras outside the school area where Morrison had been in his Jeep for at least 20 minutes. And he was also seen mingling with students as classes had changed. And then 35 minutes before the siege at the high school, you could see Morrison around on the grounds, obviously not a high schooler walking around. He had even stopped and was talking to one of the male students, asking for a list of names of the female students. Now, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, 
the FBI's Behavioral Sciences Unit and the Colorado Police Department have all tried to understand why he fixated on a certain group of female students. They could not find any type of correlations. They couldn't find anything where their families might have crossed paths. There is nothing that law enforcement can find, but yet he has become fixated. Morrison even sent a letter onto his family prior to these events unfolding. There is nothing within those pages that can be found as to why Morrison has become so fixated. Now, even a 16-year-old student named Katrina Keller reportedly saw Morrison entering the school before the time of 11.40, and she saw him walking past a vacant classroom. He looked very angry, wearing a hooded sweatshirt, but she didn't report the incident to police. She didn't report it to anybody, and Morrison continued walking around. Now, at that time, he was not armed. He wasn't carrying the backpack. He was wearing a hooded sweatshirt, and he was just walking around. Then, at 11.40 a.m., Dwayne Roger Morrison entered Platte Canyon High School carrying a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson Glock 22 pistol, a 357, and a backpack, which he claimed contained three pounds of C4, but then, after everything was over, law enforcement searched that backpack, and all they recovered was duct tape, handcuffs, knives, a stun gun, rope, scissors, massage oil, sex toys, and lots and lots of ammunition. But no explosives were ever found. But Morrison went ahead and he entered that classroom on the second floor. And he sat at the back of that classroom in room 206, where Sandra Smith, the honors English teacher, asked him, because she recognized he wasn't a parent, he wasn't another teacher, so she asked him what he was doing. And at that moment, he ordered all the students to the back of the room. The teacher resisted. Then he ordered everyone but the female students to leave. One of the male students then got into an argument with Morrison and tried to resist. And at that moment, Morrison fired the gun into the wall and the male student ran from the room. There are accounts later, and I would like to um, encourage you guys to go to YouTube and look for a video, and I'll put a link for it on our social media, and it's called Room 206, and it's the survivors and this young man who actually tried to rise up against this, and you will hear the teacher's accounts, but it's absolutely incredible. It, 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 it's absolutely incredible 
for those people who were there that day. And the interviews are done in that room, 206, where these events had occurred. And it's absolutely incredible. So the one male student attempted to fight back. And um, he said he had actually felt Morrison's gun in his back and then fired into the wall and he ran into the hallway and he had stopped for a moment of it's like is this actually happening and, and then he continued to run and then you can hear the teachers and everybody just calling law enforcement and you have to remember in 1999 this wasn't that was when Columbine happened so law enforcement since then had been preparing for school shooters at the 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 SWAT team, the same SWAT team that is getting ready to climb into action up against Morrison is the same SWAT team that had to deal with Columbine. Well, not all of them. Actually, quite a few of the SWAT team had quit because Columbine was just horrific. They had realized after Columbine had happened the way they were doing things was wrong. It was ineffectual. And a lot of the guys left. They quit. It just was so traumatic for them. But there were two men. And you will see them in the interview. That they they stayed. And they improved upon the method. And so one of the methods was. Is there were these cards. That the teachers would slide under the door if there was not an active shooter, if their their classroom was not under siege. And so SWAT arrives on the scene and they know that as they're sweeping the hall, if they see this colored card in the hallway, they know, okay, keep going and go to the classroom. So SWAT is in stacking up in the hall they know they are all stacked up outside room 206 because that is a room where there is no card so the rest of the rooms everybody is still in the rooms those rooms are on lockdown SWAT is now stacked up outside room 206 we still have the female students are in that room with Morrison he has a gun, and now he is telling them he has explosives. Then SWAT is there, stacked up outside the room, and they see Morrison is sexually assaulting the girls. He has a gun. He has explosives. He is sexually assaulting the students, and they know they need to get them So they are trying to do what they can. They have announced a code white. They have the classroom and not locked down. And they are trying to get those girls out. But then Morrison shows in the backpack and says he has a bomb. SWAT's next goal is they've got to get these other students out of that building for their safety. So... SWAT's goal now is to get all of the students out of the building as safely as they can. So that becomes a role. Morrison's goal is to just create constant chaos. Morrison had to have studied somewhat of what happened in Columbine as well. Not only was SWAT studying what they did in Columbine, 
but so was Morrison, and he was creating nothing but chaos as he was assaulting these young women that he had in these rooms. He was creating terror, and he was creating chaos. By 3.15, he had started releasing some of the girls. They had a hostage negotiator. And so the hostage negotiator is doing her best. The hostage negotiator, Stacy Jarvis, is trying to talk to Morrison. She is trying to negotiate with him. She is trying to get him out of the room. And for some reason, Morrison tells the girls who are left in the room, the girls he has not released out of the room yet, that they can go get their phones and talk to their parents. So some are thinking, well, maybe this is a good thing. He's letting them talk to their parents, so that gets them to go home. But then on the other hand, some on the outside are thinking, oh, this is bad news. If he is letting them talk to their parents, he is letting them say goodbye. So negotiator Stacy Jarvis is trying every approach she can to talk to Morrison, but he is having nothing to do with it. But out of all of this chaos and all of these assaults and trauma, there is one beautiful voice. The beautiful, beautiful voice of Emily Keys. And Emily Keys is one young high school student after being brutally traumatized and all of the horrific things, she sends an I love you guys message to her parents. And she is the one quiet voice talking to the negotiators, talking to the other girls in the room and quietly and calmly talking to Morrison and keeping the situation calm. And the negotiator, Stacey Jarvis, continues to say she just can't believe how Emily Keys could continue to be a voice of calm in everything that is going on. She was the one voice that she was able to continuously talk to throughout all the events that were happening. So as Stacy Jarvis is trying to talk to Morrison, there is nothing but silence. But then there is at one point throughout all of this that Morrison hears team up on the roof and he starts to lose it and you can hear on the video room 206 you can hear the screaming and the tents and the yelling and everyone begins yelling but then you hear Emily's calm and bringing everybody and bringing the situation down and getting everybody to calm down again but then Morrison starts saying, it will all be over at four o'clock. Just everybody stop and it'll all be over at four. 
and everyone knows that is not a good thing. And if they don't move before four o'clock, something horrible is going to happen. So the SWAT team has to make their decision and they have to go in So, at 3.45, the SWAT team makes their way into the room while using explosives. The shooting begins, and there is just shooting going from her. But Morrison, being the coward he is, is hiding behind the girls. And he is hiding behind Emily Keys. And as the Jefferson County SWAT team is trying to get through and save the girls, one of the young girls is running away and there is just gunfire everywhere. And before Morrison shoots himself, he shoots Emily Keys in the head. The other hostage survived with no physical injuries and Emily Keyes was taken by helicopter to a hospital in Denver where she was pronounced dead at 4.32. Now, for some reason, it was found that Morrison had put the Rocky Mountain Harley-Davidson customer service person's business card in Key's cell phone bag and her name was written with even her middle name which normally isn't there in her bag so that's never been explained which is really strange and bizarre to me it was almost like he was trying to create a connection so I don't know if he really got connected with her during that hostage situation and he wanted to maintain a connection. Um, also, the Keys family, the nonprofit I Love You Guys Foundation was started in 2006 by John Michael and Ellen Keys. The foundation is led by survivors, family members, first responders, and community members with a vested interest in safety, preparedness, and reunification in schools. The I Love You Guys Foundation serves the lives of students, administrators, public safety experts, families, and first responders through the development and training of schools and community safety and family reunification programs. The programs have been implemented by over 30,000 schools, agencies, and organizations across the United States, Canada, and 11 other countries. All of the programs are available at no cost. And this is by um, Emily Keyes' family. So I'm going to provide the link to this as well. So something of Emily, you know, she keeps that love and that going throughout all of this. And um, the service for Emily Keyes was held on September 30th, the day that Governor Bill Owens later de declared 
Emily Keys Day and about 5,000 motorcyclists took part in the Columbine to Canyon ride, which occurred in the memory of victims of both Columbine and the Platte Canyon shootings. The procession of motorcycles was so long that the first to get to Platte Canyon High School arrived as the final motorcyclist departed for the Columbine High School. The two riding alongside each other. So it, it's just incredible to see such beautiful out of so much ugly. So I want to remind you guys to go to the cold case, Sedgwick County cold case site, because let's try to provide some closure for some other families and let's continue to provide good. Let's remind each other to do some kindness along the way because Emily even found some good within all the bad. She provided so much awesomeness in such a horrible, ugly situation. And I just, we're gonna have some stuff about her on our social media. Her family is just so incredible and amazing. And again, you guys can find that YouTube video, which we'll provide a link to.